0: informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, sitting in for Mike Adams, here's Sabrina Hill.
1: Welcome back once again to Adams on Agriculture on this Wednesday. Today, we'll head out to the World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin, and get an update from our correspondent, Brian Winnikins. Of course, big news of the week for the dairy industry is the trade agreement with Canada that included dairy provisions. I'm sure World Dairy Expo is abuzz with that. We also have our in-house market expert, Rusty Halverson, talking with Mike Miner of Professional Ag Marketing to go into depth on market conditions. We start out the day with Farm Director Lori Boyer of Fort Morgan, Colorado, on the phone with us. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Colorado. How are things out there in your state? Is it
2: cold?
3: Actually, we've had some normally warm warmer weather here in the Alaska. Three weeks in Colorado usually we're a little bit more fall like feeling but we've had upwards of 85 degrees in the last three weeks so pretty dry out here right now as well we usually have a little bit of moisture this time of the year the good news is we haven't gotten the fall winds that we usually get
1: so what does this warmer weather mean for crops and things out in your area
3: well, that's a good question. We had some severe weather come up at the very end of July, July 29th to be exact, where we had a total of three confirmed tornadoes that all touched down in the south of the woods, northeastern Colorado. And that really did a number to our corn and our silage. Because of that, that meant that we had to harvest silage earlier so that producers could salvage anything they had left. And then immediately after that, we went into our corn silage, which is what we're doing right now. It feels like it went really fast this year because we started earlier, but indeed we're, we're actually on track. But what that means for us now is that's good harvest weather for the alfalfa and for the corn. However, we are wheat planting now, and we are just under halfway done, according to the latest Colorado Crop Progress Report. But a lot of guys, especially out further east of Morgan County, which is where I'm at, are having to dust their wheat in. I was kind of surprised that we started. I thought maybe we would wait just a little bit longer this year to see if we got some decent moisture. But nope, we're full throttle and we're getting that wheat in right now. But we do need some moisture to get a good stand going.
1: So that's kind of a mixed bag, like you said.
3: Absolutely. Uh, We did get some pretty substantial moisture to start the fall off. I think that really helped to sustain A lot of our fields and especially our pastures and it depends on who you talk to it's very hit and miss even from farm to farm on how pastures look I would just generalize by saying that we are getting uh, particularly dry Uh, the cattle guys are having to kind of strategize how they're going to feed right now and into the winter so that they don't overdo it on those pastures however when you look out there things are looking good but i think right now is the time to be proactive on how they're doing that especially with weaning going on
1: okay and so what does your weather forecast for the uh, next couple of weeks look like do you have information on that will it will it improve
3: well uh we sure are crossing our fingers we do have some moisture in the forecast i cannot remember the name of the hurricane coming in on the pacific side of things But we, if you look at the map and if you listen to some of these long-range forecasters, it does look like we'll get some of those tail storms that come in from the hurricanes. Nothing real significant, but that could be a great opportunity for us to get some moisture here in northeast Colorado. So, Sabrina, the answer to that is what our weather forecasters are saying, that we could get a little bit of moisture here this week, it'll then most likely dry up, and then we'll have hopefully another chance for moisture. Another good note, though, is the Colorado Mountains, which is on the opposite side of the state, but we get all of our irrigation water from, they're getting snow right now. So, if we can leave the snowpack up there and make sure that we're getting our adequate water supply, we'll be
4: in good shape.
1: All right, shifting gears, you and I are both members of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, and in fact, you are the president-elect, and we have our big convention coming up in November. What's in store for the convention?
3: All right. Well, thanks for asking. I think the biggest thing, of course, is really going to be trying to get some sort of outlook, some sort of of some data, some information on what those markets are going to look like next year, especially as we're sitting here wondering what's going to happen with the Farm Bill and what's going to happen with all these different trade agreements. Of course, the, the announcement that we do have a new NAFTA deal I'm sure, Sabrina, you and I and the rest of our farm broadcasting colleagues will be talking about what that means for agriculture in the next days and even the weeks to come. But what does all that mean for markets next year? We talk about markets every year at convention, but this year I think will be particularly of interest. Nobody ever really knows what's going to happen, but we are going to have some experts there who follow the trends, who have a pretty good idea of what to look for. So that will be, of course, one thing. Another thing, and I don't know about... Uh, North Dakota for sure, but in Colorado we are so diverse and always looking for different ways of doing things. Some of our acreages aren't as large as some of our I-State partners. So we're always looking for diverse ways to develop our land that we have out here and do it so that people can make money. And alternative crops really seems to be the name of the game. So we'll be talking about alternative crops and how farmers can... CASH IN ON THOSE THINGS THEY MAY HAVE NOT HAVE THOUGHT ABOUT, SOME OF THE NEW INNOVATIONS THAT ARE COMING OUT, AND WE'LL BE ABLE TO REPORT ON THOSE TOPICS WHEN WE GO TO CONVENTION TO LET SOME OF THOSE FOLKS KNOW WHAT'S GOING ON. AND THEN, OF COURSE, OUR TRADITIONAL uh, THINGS THAT WE HAVE THAT WE TALK ABOUT. I JUST MENTIONED FARM BILL, I'M SURE WE'LL BE TALKING ABOUT THAT. OTHER LEGISLATIVE ISSUES THAT ARE GOING ON. All different parts of the industry that we all cover from grains to livestock we'll have information on all of those and some of our professional development sessions that are still being worked on today Sabrina
1: let's go back to those alternative crops what are some things that would be considered alternative crops
3: well being in Colorado wouldn't I be remiss if I didn't (laughs) say the word hemp (laughs) industrial hemp actually falls under the regulations of the Colorado Department of Agriculture Little did I know when I got into farm broadcasting 20-some years ago that I would be talking about industrial hemp slash marijuana on the air. Now, let me just clarify that when we talk about marijuana, particularly recreational marijuana, it has a higher level of THC, which is a big, long acronym. THC is much easier to say, but it is the content in marijuana that gets you high. Farmers don't deal with that. We deal with something that has .03% THC and lower that is industrial hemp. And industrial hemp was actually a a big commodity before cotton came along. As a matter of fact, some of our uh, things like the um, Constitution, I believe, were made out of hemp paper. A lot of clothing, a lot of ropes and things were used back in the older days with hemp, and then cotton came along and got big. Now we're kind of going back to hemp. But there's a lot of guys that are looking at doing industrial hemp because you can use a corner of a field. You don't need a lot of acreage. You can get up to seven cuttings. There's a lot of research being done here in Colorado. Other states are also looking at what's going on here as far as approving marijuana and industrial hemp and all the different byproducts that come out of that. So that, of course, is, is fun to cover way different I'm still learning myself there's so much to learn about that but visiting with farmers and their views about that is also interesting so that would be one alternative crop that comes to my mind right now
1: all right of course Colorado agriculture always very interesting so thank you so much for taking a few minutes out with us today Lori I appreciate it thank you Lori Boyer out of Fort Morgan Colorado she's farm director of a radio station there and president-elect for the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Coming up in the next segment, we head to Madison, Wisconsin, where the nation's dairy producers are gathered for the annual World Dairy Expo. Lots of talk in the dairy industry this week as the U.S. and Canada late Sunday struck a deal to revise the North American Free Trade Agreement. There was a dairy bargain included. U.S. officials negotiated greater access to Canada's dairy market. I'm sure it's a hot topic out at World Dairy Expo. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. We'll be back right after this.
5: When it comes to powering your diesel equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS outshines all the rest. Diesel X Gold has been reformulated to restore lost power with new detergency that cleans up and prevents sticky internal injector deposits and traditional carbon deposits. So when you need more power to work the fields or drive down the highway, fuel your equipment with Diesel X Gold from FS. Contact your local FS energy specialist today and power your equipment with Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines.
6: Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Thanks for listening
7: We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health.
0: Farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Sabrina Hill.
1: Welcome back to AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. Big news of the week, the trade agreement with Canada, especially how it will affect U.S. dairy. Canada agreed to make concessions on dairy, giving U.S. farmers more access to Canada and revamping the Class 7 price to reflect its impact on export markets. U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue had this to say about the deal.
10: The great news of a new USMCA deal is important for our economy as a whole, but especially for our agricultural sector, which counts Canada and Mexico in our top three trading partners. I've long said that I believe our country is right in the middle of the best neighborhood on Earth, North America, with valuable allies to our North and our South. We've secured greater access to these vital markets and will maintain and improve the highly productive integrated agricultural relationship we have as nations. Notably, as one of the President's top goals, this deal eliminates Canada's unfair Class Seven milk pricing scheme, cracks open additional access to U.S. dairy into Canada, and imposes new disciplines on Canada's supply management system. The agreement also preserves and expands critical access for U.S. poultry and egg producers and addresses Canada's discriminatory wheat process to help U.S. wheat growers along the border become more competitive. As we celebrate this breakthrough, it's worth noting that there were many detractors who said it couldn't be done. But this is further proof that President Trump's trade negotiation strategy is working. A renewed USMCA, a new chorus agreement, and the continued progress with Japan can lead to further deals with other trading partners like the European Union and China. The dominoes are falling, and it's good news for U.S. farmers. I want to thank President Trump and our U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Bob Lighthizer for their perseverance, leadership and hard work.
1: The announcement comes as this week the World Dairy Expo is underway in Madison, Wisconsin. Thousands of dairy producers from around the U.S. and Canada are there and the trade deal is undoubtedly a hot topic. We head out there now to our correspondent, Brian Winnikins.
7: Joining us uh, today is uh, Sarah Schmidt with the uh, AMPI, and we are going to talk about the recent uh, agreements uh, with uh, the U.S. and Canada and Mexico. It's going to be the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement instead of NAFTA. Um, and uh, Sarah, thank you for joining us today. The biggest thing from this, from a dairy, dairy farmer standpoint here in the upper Midwest, is the elimination of Class 7. Is that a surprise that that they agreed to that?
2: Well, certainly we've been working on this for a long time, Brian. I mean, the minute they came out with Class 7 last spring, it it hit our markets and we have seen the impact in the last 18 months. And so it was really assuring that our trade negotiators heard dairy farmers cry. It is a trade distorting practice. And so to hear that it's eliminated is, is really encouraging. And really what that means is that Canada can no longer dump excess skim milk powder, excess proteins on the world market at below market prices. It was in fact trade distorting and not reflective of what they are so proud of is a supply-managed system. Well if you have a supply-managed system, that doesn't include dumping excess powder on the global market.
7: I know that in Wisconsin there were dairy farmers that lost their their marketing uh, from um, other co-ops because of the loss of the class the Class Seven market uh, the, the, that that ultra-filtered milk market. That though didn't happen with
2: AMPI, right? No, so we don't produce ultra-filtered milk, and so what we make in AMPI's manufacturing plants, we have ten in the Upper Midwest. Most closest to your station is our Blair, Wisconsin cheese plant. Of those ten plants, eight are cheese production plants. And so really, when it comes to trade agreements, what our dairy farmers are really focused in on and dialed into is cheese. And so for us, in all of these trade negotiations, while it's great that Class 7 has been eliminated, the biggest point in our favor is the fact that we've been able to maintain our relationship with Mexico. Mexico is a massive customer of U.S. dairy products. They um, actually buy 30% of all of our cheese exports. And when, when I say our course, I mean the country as as a whole. And so that's good for all cheese manufacturers. And so we're really encouraged to see that come out of all of these conversations. And I'm looking forward to seeing that being implemented, that we're able to maintain that really important relationship with Mexico.
7: Talking with Sarah Schmidt uh, with uh, AMPI, talking about the recent uh, agreement with the U.S., uh, Mexico, and Canada to uh, replace uh, the uh, current NAFTA agreement. How did, Sarah, the, the the Class seven, or that dumping of all of that excess powder, did, did that affect the AMPI co-op? Again, you mentioned it's a lot of cheese. So, but was there a, a, a side effect even to the co-op?
2: Sure. So it's a trickle-down thing. So when we are making cheese, um, the remaining result is a is whey powder. And a whey powder is also traded on the the domestic market but also a global market product because powder can be exported so anytime you have um, a dumping of excess powder and excess opportunities for skim milk powder from a different country that really just drives down the whole world's powder prices and so it it really was more of a trickle-down impact than a direct impact on our dairy farmer owners
7: now with the, there's going to be other parts of the canadian dairy industry that are going to be opened up the 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 market's going to be opened up is is that something that ampi is going to look at potentially expanding into
2: is when, you know, the details are really coming out on what exactly is this some increased market access, um, I, I'm not certain if it's going to be anything of real significance for us. You know, for our co-op, we are very focused on maintaining really good relationships with our U.S. customers. They are our long-term customers, our long-time customers. And so when we're making those kinds of um, decisions and the co-op's board is making those, kinds of decisions. We're doing so for our domestic customers, and then the export market is definitely our secondary. And so we're not making decisions, you know, eyeing on Canada. We're making decisions eyeing on our customers here in the States. With with this
7: agreement, does it now give the co-op, with those export decisions. Again, while they're secondary, they're still a, a, an important part. D- with this agreement, obviously it still has to be approved. There's three separate legislative bodies that have to approve this, and any one of them could say no, and then that uh, throws everything into chaos, but is this giving the co-op a little bit more certainty of moving forward in the future?
2: Well, I think I speak for all dairy farmers that we're waiting for a light at the end of this tunnel. It's been a long four years, and any time you can see some glimmers of additional um customer buys out there. And that's what a, a free trade agreement does for you, right? It's an increased opportunity to sell your product to somebody who needs it. And that's what we do really well in America. We make high quality, safe dairy products that can't be emphasized enough. And so we deliver a great product to the marketplace and if the if the world can buy at an affordable price, that that's a good thing for everybody. But um, really just these this trade agreement and the positive energy around it is just really helpful for dairy farmers right now at a time when, when we need some good news. And um, I'm, I'm not certain how quickly it's going to start hitting, hitting us where we need it, and that's on the milk checks. But it's definitely a step in the right direction.
7: Finally, uh, at least uh, over the last year with the co-op, it, it has been kind of rough for the AMPI co-op members, hasn't it?
2: Well, we're just asking dairy farmers to do a lot with a little. And and it's only because of the cheese market and, and the butter market, right? And so... There seems to be a lot of cheese that's being made available on the market right now, and and that price drives down everything. And so, um, that cheese is the result of an increased supply in milk, and we've got a growing milk production situation on our hands. And so, at Ampi, we really are focused on you know if it's our field reps, it's our board members, it's 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 what I do. We're all talking about. You know where are the plants at? Are the plants full? If the plants are full, you know, remember, hey, we don't know what to do with your extra milk because we're full right now. So it's this communication being so important between the farmer owners of the co-op and then the co-op and the marketing team. And so our marketing team is out there, and we've made some really significant investments in the past couple of years in cheese-making equipment. So we recently invested in new cheese vats in our Northwest Iowa, Sanborn Iowa plant and new cheese vats in our Painesville, Minnesota plant and those cheese vats are you know going to get more cheese from the same amount of milk it's a higher moisture cheese opportunity so we're going to be making more premium cheeses, that's what customers want. Um, These new cheese vats are reflective of the new vats that were installed in Jim Falls, Wisconsin and Blair, Wisconsin about six years ago now so it's all the co-op and the board of directors goal to be the cheese people and uh, we know cheese it's definitely what we do and we we do it pretty well here at ampi and so um, we've got a lot of demand from our customers to make more high quality premium cheeses and that's what we're going to do
7: it's a big ba- exciting time to say the least uh, at uh, ampi that is uh, sarah schmidt uh, with uh, associated milk producers from world dairy expo i'm brian one
1: thanks brian This is AOA, I'm Sabrina Hill. When we come back, we're getting Rusty Halverson in the studio for an in-depth look at the markets and the things that are currently affecting them. We'll be right back.
6: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A mixed affair on Wednesday for the grain and oilseed sector. Wheat futures seeing two-sided activity. Corn futures near unchanged. Soybean futures easing from the early week rally. November soybeans advanced through 40-day moving average resistance at the close on Tuesday. That action bullish on the charts. It opens up the door to an extension of the current rally phase. The market climbing out of a short-term daily base and bottom at 812 and a quarter. That'd be the low from September. 18th the near term trend is bullish but we are also vulnerable to minor backing and filling on the charts too currently trending a penny and a fraction lower in soybeans on the upside november beans approaching resistance at 870 and 3 quarters december corn a fractional affair on this wednesday we closed out tuesday's session with a modest gain the bulls controlling the short term trend the focus remains on Higher levels on the upside, December beginning to test key resistance right around 369, hovering just below it an hour into the trading day. For the wheats, we're currently trending 1 to 2 and a fraction higher. Livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, easier on this Wednesday, 37 to 62 cents lower. Feeder cattle, 70 to 90 cents lower cash cattle country said to be quiet so far today asking prices on the show lists in the south on a live basis said to be around 114 to 115 october live cattle at 11357 down 40 cents lean hog futures december down $2.47 on wall street the dow is up 150 points you're listening to Adams on Agriculture presented by the American Ag Network I'm Rusty Halverson
9: Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount.
0: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Sabrina Hill.
1: Welcome back to AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill. Some ups and downs and unpredictability with harvest. Big trade news, changes with exports. How's all this affecting the markets? To take a closer look, our in-house market expert, Rusty Halverson, has this interview.
6: We're visiting with Mike Miner, Professional Ag Marketing Incorporated today, based in Laverne, Minnesota. Mike, welcome to the program first off, and uh, thanks for giving us some time to visit today. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you for
6: having me. All right. Well, first off, let's talk about the harvest and weather in your area. Now, USDA and its weekly numbers put out on uh, Monday afternoon put the country's corn harvest nationwide 26% complete, 86% of the crop mature. Soybean harvest uh, estimated Sunday at 23% complete by the government eighty-three percent dropping leaves but are recent weather events in your neck of the woods Mike in southwestern Minnesota eastern South Dakota northern Iowa weather around there keeping guys idle in the yard for the most part or are we seeing any kind of progress
4: we've had pretty limited progress here as of late I mean we've had wet ground conditions especially when it comes to the soybeans Um, you know in this area of the world uh, South Dakota especially has pretty big window uh, for uh, very planting dates uh, this year especially, so uh, we we see a lot across the board, but um, overall people are just kind of starting to peek into the corn because uh, of the, the field conditions out there. Um, you know, so far corn, it's been kind of highly variable across the board um, with holes and fields and whatnot, and a uh, little disappointment here and there, but... Um, you know, uh, we'll see what it is when we get into the fields a little bit more, uh, for our area anyways, in this neck of the woods. But um, unpredictable yields, just rolling fields. Some of the sand fields are better than we expected. Um, but overall, I mean, we've got a, a 10-day forecast that suggests some pretty heavy rains out there, especially in more of the eastern Corn Belt, uh, not necessarily out on the western side of things for South Dakota North Dakota. But, uh, it, you know, it's these. Be- pretty limited progress so
6: far yeah absolutely now for the guys in the west this nearby week looking kind of difficult as far as the weather forecasts look but that extended outlook seems like uh, some of those delays could go to the eastern corn belt huh mike
4: yeah yep a little bit anyways
6: Okay, now, turning to trade, uh, we began this week with a, a NAFTA rally in the markets, both the grains and livestock on Monday, following the news that Canada will be moving forward with the U.S. and Mexico. That news coming as somewhat of a relief. We had been talking about it all the way back in August, I believe, at Dakota Fest and Mitchell, and now it looks like at least we'll maintain our strong trade ties here in North America, still trying to get a handle on things and uh, sort things out with China. But still, that North American market, important access for corn, pork, ethanol, lots of different products, and the market's responding positively to at least begin this trading week.
4: Exactly. And I mean, if we look at just the charts alone, since uh, since September 18th there, I mean, we had a low on November soybeans, a 8.12, 8.12, and we're back up to about 8.66, so we've we've put quite a bit on this soybean board in uh, just the last half month here or so, and uh, some of that being our export market, as South America has even bought some of these soybeans from the U.S. to satisfy their needs for exports going forward. So a big question mark here um, in the next upcoming months is if the supplies down in South America can fulfill... China's needs over in uh, in Asia there in the short term as you know we, we're ramping up uh, our our harvest here and we're getting some some under our belt and this is a time frame where we usually like to export heavy amounts to China where uh, South America kind of has a break and uh, this year you know they're having to fulfill some of those needs so the big question mark is how long can they hold on and uh, that could come even as soon as November so that could uh, make things a little interesting in our export markets, but seeing NAFTA get done, um, you know, uh, it may be into 2019 there, you know, it's before Congress, uh, nothing finalized there yet, but it's definitely, uh, you know, that initial push that we saw here early this week uh, was a nice thing to see, especially for that soybean market after it had a pretty rough uh, couple
6: months there. Yeah. Now, there are some folks who are speculating that the trade conflict with China could last a while. Obviously, our our South American uh, competitors like Brazil and Argentina, watching that story unfold closely, uh, they're in the midst of early soybean planting, pretty cooperative weather from what I uh, understand so far. Do you hear that South America could uh, possibly ramp up production in response to higher expected demand coming from Asia? Or do you think maybe uh, if they see a short they might have to take some beans from America crush them and send them overseas that way
4: I think the majority is that yeah they they've got some room to expand in that country alone for just acre wise and they're being influenced to do it as they've had a huge surge in prices because of their increase in demand uh, as being one of the only competitors in the export market against us uh, for China anyways so they're gonna to try to ramp up their soybean production here this fall. They're encouraged to do it in multiple ways. Um, but at the same time, um, short term here, they may need to pull a little bit from the side uh, from us, you know um, So I think the answer there is a little bit of both, um, uh, but they'll definitely try to ramp up their crop production in South America. If their infrastructure can hold uh, for one is they've got an election coming up and some uncertainty in there, in their economy is definitely starting to unfold uh, along with their currencies and whatnot.
6: Okay, now we just mentioned that South America is watching closely when it comes to here in the U.S., uh, winter wheat planting underway for next spring and guys making row crop decisions for next spring too. some of the folks you've been visiting with. Are any guys thinking about getting back to a more traditional workload with uh, maybe uh, perhaps more winter wheat in the rotation to spread out that work over the course of the year? Are they looking at other options, maybe uh, sunflowers, edible beans or canola? What have you been hearing?
4: Yeah, we definitely know, according to uh, the USDA and their last uh, couple of reports there, and with what has been coming up, uh, wheat acres are estimated to come out a little bit higher next year, almost 3 million higher, actually, for all wheat acres. And uh, cotton, a little bit of an increase there, Uh, rice acres staying about the same. But that pullback of 7 to 8 million acres of soybeans expected uh, is going to try to um, pull back on some of that overbearing supply issue that they've had uh, in the last couple of years now. And uh, with corn, anyways, you know, we're going to see a little increase, it looks like, on the corn scenario to about 93 million acres expected, about an increase of 4 million acres year over year. So uh, you are seeing a little shift in acres once again. I don't think that it's uh, anything abnormal. Um, We're just getting back to a little bit of more normal things uh, like you were talking about there.
6: Okay. Now it seems like the input buying season gets earlier and earlier. I saw a picture on Twitter just this week. Uh, uh, One fella had his uh, seed corn, corn seed come in for 2019 already. With some of the customers uh, you work with, Mike, uh, obviously we don't have all the crop in the bin, never too early to start formulating a game plan for new crop 2019. Any advice you've got uh, for a producer right now as they might be sitting in the combine and thinking about what they should do going. Ahead.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's always nice to be prepared, right? Uh, fertilizer price has definitely risen year over year. And uh, I think that'll be important when evaluating uh, new break-even levels with higher costs on uh, that side of things. But the June-July timeframe is actually a pretty good timeframe to lock up some urea for fall application, especially if you're looking to uh, cut back on uh, some of those costs anyways, uh, especially comparative to applying it in the spring. Um, right now, I would argue that it's a decent time to uh, buy some seed, you know, get get in there and use some of those discounts in place um, at the moment. Otherwise, I mean, going forward, you could maybe try to look, uh, look at some 28% fertilizer uh, coming into the early winter. if uh, You can find some prices coming out and about uh, depending on the year.
6: Okay, again, visiting with Mike Miner, Professional Ag Marketing Incorporated, based in Laverne, Minnesota. Mike, let's uh, uh, change uh, change gears now. On the meat side of things, we've got big stocks in the nation's freezers, beef, pork, poultry, turkey, you name it. The supply ahead looking ample for pork, but maybe not as uh, bad as some feared last week after we saw USDA's hogs and pigs report. What's your take on that situation, Mike?
4: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We've got 3% more pork coming at us this year. Uh, Demand's going to need to hold with that kind of increase. Uh, We've got two major concerns when it comes to the meat market, specifically hogs, is that, one, our export market will be able to hold uh, amidst some of these trade tensions um, unraveling, and then, two, would be that our cash values can stay strong with ample supply available to our packers. So, uh, But this supply increase in the hogs and pigs report there was expected on report day. So, I mean, there wasn't really any big surprises there when it came to traders. But uh, definitely an increase uh, um, coming at us here this year.
6: Okay. There are some ideas that pork and beef prices may stay strong uh, in a period of rising demand, uh, continuing to lend support. How sturdy do you think that is? What do you see uh, in the cards here going forward in the short term?
4: you know even over into the beef market um, you know the cattle on feed report that came out there they estimated six percent more uh, cattle on feed year over year uh, consumer confidence is at an all-time high right so uh, going back to Labor Day time frame we killed a, a very large amount of cattle but still had the ability to push beef, uh, meat prices higher so I mean people are filling their tables with expensive meats here uh, going into the fall and as long as that demand can hold um, we'll be all right for a while, but that, uh, that supply issue that we continue to have year over year with increasing supply, um, that's not something we can just put at the back of our heads. So it's good to be prepared uh, any way we can um, with that going forward.
6: Okay, Mike, well, I tell you what, uh, that's about all the time we have for today. Mike Miner, Professional Ag Marketing Incorporated, based in Laverne, Minnesota. If someone would like to reach out to you, Mike, uh, how would they do that?
4: Yeah, they can get a hold of us, uh, giving us a call at the office at 507 449 2030, or uh, go on our website there at Professional Ag Marketing and check us out there.
6: Mike Miner, Professional Ag Marketing Incorporated, Laverne, Minnesota.
1: Thank you, Rusty. Coming up next, I'll check on the day's top news. This is AOA. I'm Sabrina Hill, and we'll be right back.
7: We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago.
12: bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide. When you see how little they cost, discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand.
10: Call
6: 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now.
5: I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Devorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, the
7: hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland, forty-nine. Oregon DM-80031.
9: and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800 955 4538. That's 800 955 4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800 955 4538 for your free author submission kit. Do you need a
12: car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day, because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Sabrina Hill.
1: Welcome back to AOA, we're gonna get you caught up on the top news of the day. President Donald Trump is expected to announce a lifting of a ban on higher ethanol blends during his visit to Iowa next week, that according to reports. However, the oil industry is pushing back against the pending announcement. In response, rural advocates such as Growth Energy are keeping the pressure up on behalf of the ethanol industry. Growth Energy CEO Emily Score agrees with reports that action could come very soon. We certainly hope so.
8: USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue was with Growth Energy's members just a few weeks ago here in Washington, D.C., and during our advocacy flying, he told us that the fix was imminent. And we're hearing some news reports, and we're hearing some things as well from the White House that the news will come soon. And I'm telling you, it couldn't come soon enough. The president knows that farmers are hurting, and he wants action on E-15 before the election. So our hope is that we'll hear some good news in the very near term.
1: AMID THE CURRENT FARM ECONOMY SCORE SAYS E15 WILL HELP BRING FARMERS BETTER PRICES AND MORE CERTAINTY.
8: FARM INCOME IS DOWN 47% OVER THE LAST FIVE YEARS AND FOREIGN NATIONS ARE TARGETING OUR AGRICULTURAL EXPORTS. Nationwide sales of E15 would drive demand for 2 billion bushels, 2 billion more bushels of demand of American corn. It promotes U.S. energy security, and it helps restore growth in rural communities. We've built a coalition that includes farmers, biofuel producers, rural lawmakers, consumers, and retailers, and it is so important right now to get this across the finish line because we know, and we've seen just these past couple weeks, that the oil industry and the oil lobby, they're not going to back down quietly, and they're ramping up their opposition, so rural champions need to keep the pressure up at EPA and the White House to make sure we do get that announcement and we do get year-round sales of E15 moving very soon.
1: In order for year-round E15 sales to come true, SCORE says there will be several steps involved.
8: What we need is for the EPA to start rulemaking that allows for year-round sales of E15, and the ultimate deadline that we're looking at is next summer we want to be able to have consumers purchase E15. So what we need is we're hoping that the president will announce that this is coming and that EPA will begin rulemaking. So we need to make sure that acting administrator of EPA, Andrew Wheeler, as well as the White House, they're hearing from people in the heartland who want to revitalize rural growth.
1: President Trump is slated to visit Council Bluffs on Tuesday, October 9th, to make the announcement. Iowa U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, a central player in the fight with oil refineries over year-round E-15 sales and compliance credits called RINs, says there's reason to be hopeful.
0: In the last month, I've been very, very impressed. Maybe even going back six weeks, very impressed with the amount of conversation I or my staff has had with USDA, with EPA, and with the White House on uh, some sort of a compromise on E15 12 months out of the year. But do I know that there's going to be such an announcement? No, I don't.
1: Lawmakers are expected to make progress toward passing the 2018 Farm Bill over the next several weeks. Michael Clements reports.
6: Farmers and ranchers need the certainty of a farm bill, but Congress has yet to reach an agreement, and the current farm bill just expired. However, Andrew Walmsley, American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director, says lawmakers are making progress towards finishing the farm bill this year.
0: Obviously, it's not ideal that we blew past the September 30th deadline without having a new farm bill, but it isn't necessarily the end of the world. The good news is that I think a lot of progress has been made on hopefully getting a 2018 farm bill done here in the upcoming weeks.
6: Walmsley says the farm bill needs to be finished by the end of the year before farmers feel any impacts.
0: Commodity programs, at least through the marketing year, will continue on. Crop insurance is permanently authorized. Nutrition programs will continue to go forward. It's not really till we get to January 1 where we could start seeing impacts to dairy. So there's a lot of work by staff and by the four principals to Try to get a farm bill done, at least in agreement, and going through the paperwork in the next few weeks so we can quickly get it back through both chambers of Congress after the midterms.
6: He says farmers and ranchers can help by talking with lawmakers about the need to finish the farm bill.
0: I know it's harvest, but if they get an opportunity to see a member of Congress or attend a campaign event, they need to be asking the question, what are you doing to help get a farm bill done? We need to get a bill done, and there's no reason why we shouldn't here in the next few weeks.
6: Michael Clements, Washington.
1: We've talked a lot this week about a new trade deal with Canada and how U.S. dairy will benefit, but it's not the only commodity that came out a winner. U.S. chief agricultural negotiator says several issues related to U.S. wheat access into the Canadian marketplace were addressed with the new deal between the trading partners. Rod Bain tells us about that.
6: Dairy was the high-profile ag issue connected to U.S., Mexican, and Canadian negotiations that led to what is being called the USMC Trade Agreement. But as the chief ag negotiator of the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, Greg Dowd, notes, wheat was also a sticking point in ag trade between our nation and our northern neighbor. Specifically, U.S. wheat could only be sold in Canada as feed
10: wheat. In trade terms, we say that that does not meet the terms for national treatment. In other words, they have to treat our wheat the same as their wheat if it's the same quality.
6: The recent agreement between the U.S. and Canada, however, means that
10: Canada has now agreed to great imports of U.S. wheat in a manner no less favorable than Canadian wheat, and that's a big step forward.
6: Ambassador Dowd adds Canada will no longer require a country of origin labeling statement on U.S. wheat imports.
10: Now there's some things related to seed use that are a little uncertain at this point, but a North Dakota farmer should be able, if he wants to use a Canadian elevator across the border, he ought to be able to do that now as a result of this.
6: I'm Rod Bay reporting, Washington, D.C.
1: But one ag group is not as excited with the deal. The U.S. Cattlemen's Association expressed disappointment that the new trade deal between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada does not include a viable pathway forward for country of origin labeling on U.S. beef products. U.S. Cattlemen's Association President Kenny Grainer says the organization is disappointed that the administration turned its back on U.S. cattle producers. The organization says the administration missed an opportunity to re-establish a viable country of origin labeling program for U.S. beef products. With the North American Free Trade Agreement renegotiation effort complete, the Trump administration is expected to turn its trade attention to China and its neighbors. The U.S. and China are in the midst of a tit-for-tat trade war started by President Trump. The Wall Street Journal says the U.S. should follow this template for the NAFTA talks to engage with Asia-Pacific trading partners and revive the dream of building a new rules-based trading bloc to counter China. That was previously the goal of the Trans-Pacific Partnership that President Trump removed the U.S. from upon taking office. The Wall Street Journal opinion piece suggests that the U.S. should follow suit in Asian trade markets as part of its global boxing out of China. Trade talks are set to begin between the U.S. and Japan soon, marking a potential start on the region. That's our news for today. Coming up in tomorrow's show, I talk with Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa about the trade deal and the farm bill. We also head back out to the World Dairy Expo. This is Adams on Agriculture. I'm Sabrina Hill filling in for Mike Adams this week. Thanks for listening.